We check in with a couple of the Red Sox young stars, the best third baseman in baseball, and a guy that maybe head to the Hall of Fame. Plus, Wade Boggs, a lot of baseball. It's the press pass. I am Chris Ryans. The Red Sox have certainly turned around their season. There was some controversy in Toronto as the Red Sox lost two out of three. They salvaged the final game. But Tanner Houck and Jaron Duran have been two of the key contributors and young players for the Red Sox this year. Did not travel with the team to Toronto because they are unvaccinated. We'll hear from Tanner Houck in just a little bit. Also check in with Bobby Dahlbeck. This is the Press Pass. I want to thank you so much for joining us. So the Red Sox have righted their ship and are a team that is now firmly in the wild card picture, although they should, could certainly get knocked out of that picture. Bottom line, though, is this is a quality baseball team, and whether or not they add folks come at the trade deadline, you got Chris Sale coming back. Now, does that mean Chris Sale, one of the best pitchers in baseball, or a guy that's just going to help out your rotation? That remains to be seen. James Paxton, kind of the same deal, but... Garrett Whitlock is getting closer to coming back. Nathan Navaldi is still uh, lurking in the wings to come back and help this team have success. So Red Sox are in pretty good position. The Yankees way out ahead of everybody right now, but the Red Sox opportunity for success. I talked with Bobby Dahlbeck, who has not found his stride at this point in the season, and talked with him a little bit about what this year has been like. Here's the Red Sox first baseman. Can you just talk a little about this team's response to adversity this year? Like, you guys have been tested throughout the course of the year. You've been tested personally, yeah. and it seems like the stability of this group, despite adversity, has been pretty significant. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we all pull together. Um, you know, everyone talks, and um, nobody feels alone on this team, I would say. Um, where, you know, you hear kind of horror stories on other teams where go. it's kind of like that. But, um, you know, like, back, that dude helps everyone out. You know, everyone's, you know, ready to help, help each other out. How did you guys maintain, you know, staying together through a difficult time, particularly early on in the season. You mentioned some of the key figures. How did they kind of keep the club together when fans were running away, yeah. the memes were everywhere? Like, did you guys stay together? Yeah, I think I just don't think any of us really pay attention to what, you know, everyone's, what everyone's saying. You know, we know what we can do, and we know what it seems capable, capable of, and, um, you know, everyone just, you know, works their ass off. I think that's the biggest thing. Everyone, like, nobody just waits for it to happen. You know, people are working on trying to fix it right away. I think that's why we come out of it. And that's certainly a trait that you have as well from what they hear. Like, you work as hard as anybody on this yeah. team trying to, to figure things out. What what have been the, the challenges for you? And you've continued to work. You continue to try to adapt. Yeah. And it feels like there's moments where you're going to get to where you want to go, but there's all those setbacks. Um, I would say just, like, playing time is the big thing. Comes, It's hard to, like trust everything when you know you play for a few days and start to get rolling and you don't play not saying that's an excuse or anything but it's um you know being in there every day definitely helps like um fortifying what you've been working on but uh, like to my own fault like if i'm not playing i'll continue to work on stuff and maybe swing myself out of things but that's just the way i'm built you know i try to i try to work on things until i can't do them wrong um, instead of you know getting it getting it there and being easy with it you know have you felt that the club's given you, you know, the ample opportunity to, to kind of play through it, or that it's at times not been to like where you want to uh, be? I think they put whatever lineup they need to put out there to win a game, and if I'm not in it, then that's not um, that's not a problem with me. You know, it's I, I want to. It's not about me. Like I think I said that all last year too, when Shorber was here. You know, I'm you know here to help everyone out the best I can, and um, you know if I'm in the game, you know I'm competing and confident. So. Uh, you know, I feel like I've been swinging that really well as of late. Uh, just need to, you know, keep it rolling when I do get in there. 
For Tanner Houck, he is now into the closer's role, but some frustration with Houck because he is unvaccinated, and as a result of that, was unavailable in a game on Wednesday, in which excuse me, a game on Tuesday, in which the Red Sox could have used him late to close out a win in Toronto. I talked with Tanner Houck at Fenway Park prior to the Red Sox going on this road trip about his closer's role. Joe Tanner Houck, how's life different for you as a closer as compared to the other roles that you've had? Is it different? Uh, really right now, I'm, I'm just trying to treat it all as the same. Um, for me, my, my mindset's never really changed. At 60 feet, 6 inches, you still got to get strike one, strike two, uh, really before you can do anything else. Uh, and just really trying to go after hitters. Uh, the big thing that really kind of nipped me in the butt earlier this year was walks. So I've just kind of took a step back and simplified things. That we're going to go movement in the zone, go right after guys, and, and just stay on the attack the entire time. Now, your major league journey has had a whole bunch of different turns so far, and it's not been even that long. Um, but now it appears you do have kind of a solidified role. Does that help with anything? Uh, no, I think if you just show up to the field every day and you worry about what you got to do to to stay ready for whatever role you're in at that time is it's all you can really do. Um, a lot of the times I might not have the most say in what's going on, but it doesn't really bug me all that much. I, I know i got to go out there and get three outs just like everyone else. Um, so for me, it's just going out there and, and doing what I can, control what I can. Dennis Eckersley does the games here, and you know I've talked with Mariano Rivera about this too. They always say that the outs, though, at the end of the game, like when you're closing out things on on Friday night against the Cardinals, like they're heavier, like they're tougher. Um, do you feel that from an emotional standpoint, and do you have to you know, kind of um, you may, or pro, your approach may be the same, but do you have to do anything differently to kind of cool yourself down in those spots or amp yourself up uh, where the case may be? Uh, yeah, I've I've had. A few outings so far um, where I've gotten myself into the trouble. Um, <clears throat> but it, it's about kind of calming myself down in those moments and just kind of taking a step back, taking a deep breath, and, and just knowing i, I got to make this pitch um, and not trying to, to overdo it. Um, every time I, I feel like I'm overthrowing or trying to do more, that's whenever I feel like I'm putting myself into trouble. We've talked about it throughout the course of the year, but I feel like this Red Sox pitching staff throughout the season, particularly the starters, have been vastly underrated. And you see the ERA for June, even when um, there have been injury issues with Nate and uh, Garrett, uh, continue to pitch well. Um, what connects this group, and how good do you think this group is? Uh, I mean, I think this group is incredible on and off the field. Um, I'll say that for the rest of my life. I, I, I love showing up to the field every day. With this group, it's an incredible uh, just atmosphere in the clubhouse, in the dugout, in the bullpen all the time. Uh, but I, I think it just shows that, you know, next man mentality of like, hey, I'm going to pick you up uh, when guys go down like Nate and Evo and having guys step up like Winkowski and Cutter to, to fill that role and fill that void while they're down. I, I mean, I think it just shows that next man up mentality and hey you know we we rely on you we got faith in you to go out there and do your thing sweet thanks thank you how back with the team 
yesterday as uh, they started their three-game set in Chicago against the Cubs. For players young and old, coming to Fenway Park is something that is flat-out special. And I talked with two members of St. Louis Cardinals about coming to Fenway. First and foremost, Adam Wainwright, who did his old man walking tour. After he pitches, he goes on a walking tour of whether it's St. Ballpark in St. Louis, Bush Stadium, or wherever the Cardinals are, and takes in the stadium, kind of gets a feel for it. I talked with Wainwright about how he feels about Fenway. I saw you up in the press box yesterday here at Fenway Park, and I heard that that's not something that you're doing just here, but that's something you've been doing kind of across the league. What has it meant to you to have kind of an opportunity to take everything in here in this season? Yeah, I mean, I think I started doing this last season, beginning of the year, just knowing and understand that playing the game for a long time, playing some of the best, coolest venues in all of sports and all the world to get to work in, and, and I didn't really know anything about any of the parks we're going to, so try to spend some time I do a, a day after pitching old man walk where I get up and no matter where I am whether it's home every time or you know Milwaukee or or Boston or Chicago doesn't matter where um, get up and and see the what makes each individual stadium tick what makes one unique what you know meet some of the people who are making it go and the great workers that that are uh, making it go and you know seeing the food and seeing the sights and just understanding all of that I mean, there's a lot of stuff that goes into to making a production of a baseball game that I never really knew about um, until these last couple of years. And there's there's sights and things to see and sit in that, you know, last night I went into, or yesterday morning I went into, uh, sat in that Ted Williams seat, got up on top of the monster, got up in the press box. I mean, it's just, you know, things that I'll look back on and always remember um, that I had never taken the time to do before. What makes Fenway Park tick in your view? What is What is the kind of the, the story of this park well I, i'm certainly not the right one to comment on that i mean i've only been here a few times so but it is neat to see that monster and it's neat to to see the uniqueness of the stadium and the dimensions of it but fans the fans are great and and, and always cheering their team on so there's a lot of good things about this place it it could use a, a a clubhouse refurbishment but other than that what a wonderful place to be and and uh you know it's part of history so it's a great place to be it's just the refurbished clubhouse. They did it over like a couple of years ago. You should have seen what it was like. Oh, you've been here before, so it's it, it's 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 like kind of, kind of painting the. Uh, it's got a little more yeah. space. It's got a little more space than it used to. So just the, having the the ability to um, to have this season with Yachty and Albert and you know what does that what does that mean? What you guys have accomplished over these years? What you hope to accomplish this year? I mean, having Albert come back home was big for us and, and uh, I was excited to get back with him but I was more excited for our young guys who'd never met Albert and never played with Albert to learn from him and see you know to, to get into the mind of, of one of the greatest players in the history of the game um, it's just unique you know not everybody gets that chance so I was really excited but he's a winning player he helps us win too but he's really teaching our guys a lot and it's nice to have him back home. Also, an opportunity to talk to Nolan Arenado, one of the best players in baseball. What's it like for a player coming here to to Fenway? Obviously, you've been here several times for the Rockies, but what is it like to kind of take it all in? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously awesome. I've been I've been here before. It's just a lot of history here, and uh, it's a lot of fun. Obviously, it's just a special ballpark. A lot of great players I've played here, players that I admire: Big Poppy, Manny Ramirez, Dustin Pedroia, and obviously the players they got now are really fun to watch too. So it's been a lot of fun. Watched you talking to J.D. Martinez for a while. What type of a resource is he for for you? Uh, and the way he works at the game from a mechanical standpoint, how much do you kind of pick his brain? 
Yeah, you know, I, I try to keep, you know, those conversations between us two, but uh, JG's, I'll just say JD's one of the smartest people I've ever talked to when it comes to the game, hitting, and he's someone that I know I can learn a lot from, and uh, someone that I appreciate because he talks to me about the game, and someone that I admire, he's one of my favorite players, obviously one of the better hitters in the game, and someone that, I, like I said, I admire his game and how he is as a person, so someone that I definitely try to bounce things off of, but uh, I try to keep the intense conversation to ourselves. Yeah, no worries. When, um, when you look at how you go about hitting, are you an individual that likes to constantly like to tinker a little bit, to look at things like he does, to reassess after every swing where you're at, or do you not or not as focused as intense on that side of, of hitting? I mean, I try to focus on different things, and I definitely, you know, you know, maybe not the extremes that he is. That you know, I don't know because I haven't really seen it. You know, I haven't been around him, but I've heard. Um, and uh, there's definitely things I try to. I definitely do. I do love hitting. I do love talking about it. I love working on it, and I know he does too. So that's why we get along. What type of resource has Albert been in that sense as well? Well, Albert's been a great resource. Um, obviously, the growing in my eyes, the greatest right-hander ever. And talking to him about the game, talking about hitting, uh, it's amazing. And uh, he's someone that I, uh, you know, I'm very thankful that I get to play with him. Someone uh, thankful that I get to talk to him. In my view, you're probably the best third baseman I've ever seen play live. Um, what is your sense about that first step that you get and the read that you get, and how often does that help you to make some of the more spectacular, but not also routine plays or routine plays that you make look routine? Yeah, well, I think it's just knowing, you know, trying to knowing what pitch is coming, see where the catcher's framing, see where he's moving, all those things, anticipating the ball and wanting the ball hits you, I think it's all part of it. And uh, that's just something that I try to do and pay attention to, and I feel like it's just helped me throughout my career, and it's something that. You know, I just don't plan on stopping doing. You know, I got to continue to do it. If you're talking to a kid who wanted to play the position and he was looking to build kind of that foundation of being a good, solid third baseman and infielder as a whole, what do you think are the most important things that you've utilized and that uh, younger players can can build as a foundation? Well, I think obviously working on every type of play you can. I know, I know all these videos about you know people coming out with all these drills to do and all that. I'm not a big drill guy. I've never really been a drill guy. I've been more of just a take a bunch of reps, backhand, forehand, slow rollers, every type of rep. So, And when the game happens, you're used to it, and you've already had that in your in your brain that I can make this play, and I've done it before. So that's kind of how I do it. I just try to take a bunch of reps, different styles of ground balls, and then go from there. I watched Louis Rivera come in and work with Bo Bichette and some of their infielders, and they use like the little gloves yeah. and, and that type of stuff. I think that's kind of what you're referring to to some extent. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, everyone I – mean, Teach their own, right? I mean, everyone does whatever they want. That's just what I do. I don't need the little. I don't think you know. I'm not gonna use a little glove in the game. Uh, in the game, so I'm not gonna use a little glove before the game. So I do. I rather get. I rather know. Make sure I know how to feel with my glove than use a different glove. But reps, in your view, are are the key in knowing each type of play that's coming at you, whether it's going back, coming in, and and do working on that on a continuous basis. Yes, exactly. I mean, those are the little things. You know, every type of play, like because you want your instincts to take over. And if you don't work on those in the game, then they're not going to work. They're not going to take over in the game. The final thing is on this team. This seems like it has an opportunity to be a special group this year. You have a, a little bit of everything. Um, it has that kind of a feel of being a, a good holistic ball club. What is your sense about what this team is this year? And is this team going to be, you know, a, a team to contend with in the postseason? Yeah, I think we are. I think we have a chance to do that. I mean, we have a long ways to go, but we have a really good team. Um, there's a lot of a lot of things that we're doing well, and we just got to continue to get better. But there's no doubt that I think we have a team that can make the playoffs and go make make a long run. Now, 
there's a lot of factors. Obviously, health, and we got to go out and do it. You know, we could talk about it all we want, but the fact is, we got to go out and do it. And right now, we're playing pretty good, but uh, we know we're better than what we're doing. Getting closer to induction day in a couple weeks, David Ortiz will be amongst seven players headed into the National Baseball Hall of Fame. Recently, I talked with Wade Boggs up in Cooperstown. Here's that conversation. One of the big themes this weekend seems to be the biggest stars of the 80s coming back here with you. George Brett I saw the other night, Tim Raines is here, Ozzie Smith. When you think back about that time period, you know what stands out? And obviously you didn't play with Ozzie Smith a lot because he was in the National League in the All-Star Games. How did you follow those guys, and did you follow the guys on the other side? Well, before, before interleague play, it was, it was sort of like if you didn't change leagues, you really didn't know that much about your opponent once you got to a World Series. And then... The whole dynamics of the thing changed when interleague play started to come in. You know, now during the year you're playing Atlanta and you're playing the Mets, and and before interleague play you're sitting there going, you know, you you just got advanced scouts to let you know what what the other teams like. Now you play the Mets eight times or you play the Braves, and the next thing you know you're in the World Series against them. So yeah, it was, uh, and and the only time that you got to see. The other side of the of the of the fence was All Star games, uh, or various you know broadcasts on TV or something like that. But the biggest thing was was you know now in an All Star game you look out, okay, there's you know, but nowadays everybody plays against each other so much that I mean it's old hat. Yeah. It's it's like the, there's really no American League or National League anymore. It's just one. One league that's mixed up. You look at some of my favorite guys to watch hit in the 80s, so that's you, uh, Kirby Puckett, George Brett, and you seem, and Rod Carew, obviously, as well, Tony Gwynn. Those guys don't guys that hit like that don't seem to be in the game anymore. Why do you think that is, given the success that you guys had and what you meant to your teams? Well, I, I think that the, the, the new analytics of baseball sort of phased out that generation. I mean, it's it's completely, it's taught different. Hitting is, is completely different now. It's exit velocity, it's launch angle, and and so, I mean, you, you don't see guys hitting 360 anymore. And, and, the, and they, the median average in the big leagues is 237. Oh my gosh. I mean, that's credibility to go back to the minor leagues. Right, you wouldn't be around anymore in your era. You hit two thirty-seven. Oh, right? No, no, absolutely not. I mean, you know, but you know, you'd, you'd have you'd have George at three forty. You have Rod Carew at three fifty, and I'm you know I'm pushing three sixty or something like that. You had a bunch of guys over three thirty. Right. If you get one guy over three thirty now, it's saying a lot. And that's not looking at your OBPs either. And you'd think that you want to have again. If somebody's going to be hitting in front of J.D. Martinez and Rafi Devers, you want somebody that's going to be on base. Set the table. That's the that's the thing that uh, the the misnomer that I keep hearing is they sit there and go, average doesn't matter. I always thought that in order to win games, you got to get on base and score runs. If you don't get on base, you don't score runs, and you don't win. I mean, that's uh, it's 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 kind of weird. I mean, they sit there. A guy means more to the team if he's hitting 228 and 10 bombs. Really? Okay. Who was the, the guy or guys you'd pay to watch in the 80s? Well, I had the best seat in the house. 
I mean, my generation is, is, is amazing. When you look back and how many Hall of Famers came out of the 80s, like, I, can go, I can go team to team. I mean, Robin Yount, Paul Molitor, and, and I mean, just on, on down the line. Like you said, Kirby and Rod and, and George. And, and, I mean, there were, there were some dynamic players one back the, in the 80s. One of the things that stands out, too, and I was just talking to Ozzy about this, is a guy like Ozzy Smith probably doesn't make it to the big leagues at this point in time or gets a limited opportunity because he built his base on defense. It seems like if it's, if it's one-dimensional a lot of time, but that one dimension is hitting, and if you don't hit, you're not going to make it. Is that something you feel is missing? Like, I, I just don't understand how, how you can sit there and... And one calendar, one calendar month, you have more strikeouts than hits in the big leagues. It, it just, it, for me, it's just unfathomable that, that guys strike out so much nowadays. And and that's that's doing that with less than two outs and a guy on third. Put the ball in play and get the guy in. I mean, everybody goes up and, and creating that launch angle, but it's crazy. Double day field. This, to me, is one of the most amazing places to be if you're a baseball fan because everybody, literally everybody who has played the game is here. And I have you go into Fenway Park, a pretty good seat there. But this, to me, is something special to be in this dugout and think about DiMaggio, think about Babe Ruth, Ty Cobb on down the road. As a Hall of Famer, what does it mean to be here? Well, it's the Mecca. I mean, this is I, – I played in two games here, 88 and 90. And uh, when you look at the, the litany of players that, that have come through here, I mean, you're standing in the same place that Babe Ruth stood. And all of these players have come to Doubleday Field and have played. And now I'm, I'm glad that they brought the game back and bring in former players and, and, and be a part of this. But, it, it, uh, yeah, it is a special place. David Ortiz goes into the hall this July. Obviously one of the most significant players in Red Sox history. Is he on the Mount Rushmore with Ted and and Yaz? Is he in that that category with those guys? In your view, I think he is. I mean, he brought championships to the Red Sox, and 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 you know, I, w- I wish that I had been part of that, but uh, it just wasn't in the cards. But uh, when you when you think of the World Series and everything like that, he was he was a huge part of it. Thanks, Mike. All right, my pleasure. Today? All right. Now, no, I got to save it for golf for tomorrow. <laughs> Wade Boggs right there. We'll hear from more Hall of Famers in coming weeks. Tim Raines, Alan Trammell, and our Legends segments here on the Press Pass. I want to close talking a little bit about the Celtics. And, you know, the Celtics were within a couple games of winning an NBA championship this year. And it looked like they were going to win an NBA championship before things went downhill in game four. It looked like they were going to take a commanding three games to one series lead. And, you know, the interest on fans' part in dramatically changing this roster to me doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. I mean, this group has something special, and you want to add to this core that has been forming for years and almost won a championship. You don't want to subtract from it. You know, it's not like when the Bulls got close, you're like, oh, let's get rid of Scottie Pippen. Or when the Pistons were trying to get over the hump against Larry and the Celtics, it was, oh, we need to get rid of Joe Dumars. He's not a good wingman for Isaiah Thomas. You have a good core here. Marcus Smart is a unique player in that there are certain areas of the game where he is really, really good. In fact, the best defensive player in the NBA. But 
you don't want to get rid of him. You don't. I don't understand it. Yeah, there were parts of the finals that obviously he could have done better. People talking about Horford. You got to upgrade there. Jalen Brown for Kevin Durant. No. This team needs some shooters. This team needs some shooters. This team needs somebody that can create off the dribble, perhaps, and spell smart in certain spots. But Marcus Smart is a good player on the offensive end. He is. And I understand folks will push back on that. He is an incredible defensive player and one that changes games on a continual basis. You don't need to mess up the Celtics. These guys are young outside of Horford. They're young and they're primed to be a championship contender for years. You don't want to mess that up. It's a press pass.